Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. Oh, we're in for a long one. A long weekend, that is. And you deserve to spend it on the couch with a glass of something good. Luckily, there's Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery. With Drizzly, you can compare prices on the biggest selection of beer, wine, and spirits. Then get them delivered quickly. So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com today. Sunday. Get you some facts right here. Get you some facts. Hello and welcome to the Song Facts Podcast. My name is Corey O'Flanagan and I am your host. As always, this podcast is a proud partner with the Pantheon Podcast Network. Go and check it out. Lots of great shows on there. And if you're feeling it, why don't you go down and just hit the subscribe button. Make sure that we are popping up on your device every week. Almost 20 years into a music career that has taken him and his band from his roots in Michigan to Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and to Spring Break Central in Panama City Beach, Florida, Lee Kakati has seen it all. He started Pop Evil with a singular focus of knowing more about what he didn't want to do rather than what he did want. Speaking to him on this episode of the Song Facts Podcast, it is clear that his passion for the life he has chosen is limitless. The experiences he has from playing to empty seats to learning of songs hitting number one are recalled with great clarity as we go over his long career. On May 21st, Lee and Pop Evil are releasing an album that was recorded before the COVID-19 pandemic called Versatile. Although the songs remain the same, the meanings of them may have changed along with so much else in the world. So please sit back and enjoy Lee Kakati of Pop Evil. Lee, just first of all, thanks for coming on Song Facts Podcast. How are you today? I'm doing real good, man. It's a pleasure to be on, dude. Definitely uh, excited. Great. Where, where are you? I'm uh, I'm I'm Michigan today. Okay, how's the weather? I'm actually from Wisconsin originally. Oh, right on. So you know, same type of thing. Weather's miserable. You know how it is in this time of year uh, our way. So it's uh, you know, we've had bits and we've had some eighty degree weather scattered at, at them. I, I I haven't been in Michigan a ton at the moment. I've been out in Arizona, out west a little bit, but uh, you know, I'm back now for for a few because of the uh, release of the record. So it just I, it could always be warmer. Yeah, absolutely. Especially this time of year. And you're still kind of like itching with the idea of like, is there going to be just one more snow? Yeah, you're always worried about that. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I want to start with, and I, a lot of times I know that this can be a tough question. So I'm always interested to do it. But sure. why don't you try and give me the quick version of the history of how Pop Evil started and then got to where it is today? Yeah, um, short version of that is, let's see, you know, so going back that I can remember, but uh, we're coming up on our 20-year anniversary. So yeah. in the early days, we, um, you know, I was doing everything. Had my own record label just out of college, and I was kind of trying to get into the highest level that I could. So I knew that I needed to, I understood early on that I needed to save the money to get the right demos dialed in, and none of us had money. So, you know, we definitely played covers. You know, that was kind of, and our, our plan was, most of these cover bars that would pay you, I don't know, a thousand bucks or more a night. That was the big money back then. You yeah. had to play three sets and you had to play covers. And they would be like, you have to play three sets of covers. And what we would do is we would play the first set. We would do acoustic songs, you know, and I could let my guys drink and have fun. And I would kind of carry a little bit of that. I'd play probably the first four or five songs by myself just to kind of, you know, people are coming in, eat, having dinner. And then by the yeah. second set, we would flip it. We would change wardrobes and get dressed up in our pop evil, real original plan type show and dress like rockers. And then we'd come out and do all originals. And it wasn't always a success. Sometimes the bar owners or the club owners would get upset. They're like, you need to play like covers. And I'm like, yeah, 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 no problem. And I was just telling them, yeah, no problem. But then we would manipulate <laughs> as much as we could and push our original songs, you know? So, and then of course the last set was full of everything from Kid Rock to um, you know, Afro Man got high. We did just a hodgepodge of hit after hit, which is, you know, looking back, if you if you think about it, I mean, those were pivotal times 
the second set when we did our own set we really started to build a local fan base and a local following that was okay that nice so they kind of took that, that's good yeah yeah and we, we really literally became that big fish in a small pond you know and because of those kind of sets people would come to see our stuff and then of course at the end it's interesting now you know the influence of the yin and yang and the duality of pop evil i think was really spurs from that because that last set we'd have to play covers of all these kind of hit songs because you'd want to keep people dancing. And it really taught us about, and it taught me especially how to write choruses and hooks, you know, and different kind of genres and the hodgepodge. I know we do a lot of mashups. And yeah. again, you know, our role models back in those days in the early 2000s, Kid Rock and Eminem were, were just the biggest things on the planet, you know? So it was really hard to grow up in Michigan, even Wisconsin, maybe for you and not be impacted by that. And the way that they were kind of infusing other genres and, and, and really embracing their Michigan roots was a uh, big time. It definitely rubbed off, definitely rubbed off. Okay. Really good job there. It's really interesting to me to think about touring around the Midwest and making a thousand bucks a gig. I must not have been that great of a musician because I couldn't find that kind of payday until I came sure. down to where I am now in Florida. And then it just kind of became the norm of like minimum 500 or something like that for a gig. And uh, yeah, I vividly remember the first time that I got done playing and the singer came up and gave me a wad of cash and i was like really we got paid for this this is crazy yeah, uh, yeah, well, yeah they weren't no. all they, they weren't all a thousand we definitely did our care of 500s for sure but but you know it didn't it didn't happen overnight either you know like to get paid in wisconsin and michigan you had to like it's funny you say that because florida was a big stopping ground for us too like we we played michigan and maybe a little bit of fort wayne and and, and michigan city and then it was florida there was no in between so it's funny you say that because we had the same link like we would go do spring break I think for three years straight, we would go do, uh, what was it? We'd do Spinnaker. I can't remember. I think it was Spinnaker. No, maybe it was called La Vila, actually. It was one of those two now. And we would go play there for spring break. And then we'd go right back up and we'd have the same kind of booking agents in Michigan that would book us the same bars. I remember fighting with my rhythm guitar player that's still with me to this day because <laughs> he didn't want to show up. I remember he he totally bailed on me, which I hold against him to this day. I'm like, you left me hanging there for that show. So I had, <laughs> I had he's like, I couldn't do it, man. I can't do any more covers. You know? so, so, you know, we, we, we definitely, it was hard, you know, like we, some shows we did, we did, you know, 500, like you said, I mean, the big ones, as we started to become that big fish in the small pond, we'd get, you know, anywhere from, we'd get anywhere from a thousand to, uh, to sometimes 2000, maybe a little higher, but those were, those were rare. And those were yeah. the cover bars when we had lines around the door just before we broke, you know, for the most part in the early days, we were getting 550, maybe 750 was like, Oh my God, this is crazy. And an interesting thing that we did, I'm not sure what you did, but I, um, I, I had kind of had the mentality with the guys, um, you know, three of my guys that are still in it at the moment that they're, uh, we were like, look, we're not going to pay each other. We're going to take the money that we make and uh, pay for expenses. So you won't have to pay any of your money in pop evil, but we're not going to pay each other a ton of money. You know, I would cover gas and maybe everyone would get, you know, between 20 and 50 bucks, you know, and yeah. they're spending money and that they could kind of party and stuff. But the rest of it was going to go to the band and we were going to pay for equipment. Like if we needed, you know, I bought, I, I think I bought a Denali or a Range Rover. At the, no, not a Range It was a, no, it was a Tahoe. Sorry. It was a Tahoe. Yeah. And that would pull the trailer. Then we bought a trailer. You know, I mean, these weren't brand new cars, but we bought enough. I mean, maybe I begged, clawed and scratched to my parents. So I was like, hey, is there any way, you know, I want to make this dream happen. And was like, forget about my college fund. Can we just get yeah. a kid? I want a tour, you know? So they were like, ah, you know, trying to, and that didn't happen overnight. You know, you had to convince your family and people that you were serious about it and they had to watch it, you know, for a so couple of years and be like, wow, like they're, wow, these guys are actually good. You know, they might have a chance. So then they started to help more, but, you know, thinking back in the early years, it was like one thing led to another. And then I decided, you know, with the label that I had to be like, look, we got a, enough doing an album. No one cares about that. The labels, big labels still push. Even if you take a big label budget and they put out an album, they're still pushing one or two, three songs, an album. So yeah. we're not that. Why don't we just push one song and do like, I remember we went down to Disc Makers and really pushed one song. I went to Kid Rock's camp out in Detroit. And that's when things really started to change because then our network grew. And all my all my uh, kind of more uh, uneducated rock friends growing up they didn't understand they'd always be like well we don't have money we're going to record it in our garage and i just had this mentality i was like well i don't know who you're going to meet in your garage but i'm not going to meet anybody in my garage so i'm out of here you know True. so once we started to branch off you know it led to some different things and and then it led to you know of course the look from our managers and then yeah. and then of course around the same time wrote 155 and once i wrote 155 you know my life changed 
Well, that's that's a perfect little segue for me. Two things. Mm-hmm. One is when I'm reading about the history of the band and just kind of getting to know the story, it's clear that you guys grinded it out. It wasn't just like a success. 100%. It wasn't just this thing. So like the hearing you talk about this too, it gives me the idea that you just were one of these lucky people that just knew what they wanted to do. And we're just like, I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to, I mean, think of how many people would be putting themselves through a gig and just like get that check or get that envelope of cash and just be like, Oh, we can just go party. Whereas you're, you're already in that business mindset at a younger age, ready to be like, no, 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 let's do this. We've got to keep building this thing. I mean, I don't think that very many people do that, especially like, you know, in their late teens, early twenties. Um, you segue really nicely for me to go into the album Lipstick. And so when I'm going through this album for the first time, the song that you just mentioned, 155, it just sticks out. Turn back on the broken Some things are just meant to be. I still believe that we got a chance. Still believe that we got a chance to be. Too much is never enough and too little is never enough. And it just seems to have a different sound. And to me, the lyrics seem really personal. So what can you tell me about the story behind this one? Yeah, I just looked recently to a couple of years back. It was written July 15, 2005. I wrote it for Kid Rock. You know, I well, that was my hope. You know, I mean, it wasn't yeah. like Bob was on line one at the time, you know. So I, I uh, was hopeful with my connections I had in Detroit. And again, we're from Grand Rapids, Michigan. So if people that are hearing this, it's this three hours, maybe two and a half if you're speeding, you know, but, but uh, <laughs> to the west of Detroit. So, you know, everyone in this, we'd never had any big, big, big time bands that were certainly current to come in, maybe Verve Pipe, but they were from Lansing, you know, they might argue they're from Grand Rapids, but I would beg to the differ because I remember mm-hmm. driving weekly to go watch them play, you know, because I, when I was in college, I, I loved them, you know, and they were, uh, it was something that I had to relate for, to relate to because they were from, you know, at least West Michigan. So, um, you know, other than that, I did, we didn't, there was no other role models for us to follow. You know, it was yeah. like everyone would tell us that we had to go move to Detroit or you moved to New York and LA. And we just didn't have money for that. It was just out of the cards. And I was just like, I don't want to go to New York and LA and just no, 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 absolutely no one. And then try to, you know, yeah, take away all my support staff, which is our friends and family and the fan base we'd already built. So, you know, right around 05, you know, I wrote this song called 155 and, and, uh, you know, I felt good about it, you know, wrote it all by myself. There was no, there was no, uh, it was just me on an acoustic. A lot of times that's how I wrote in the early years. You know, I mean, I had no help. It was always just me and, and my band members don't really write lyrics. I mean, they do every now and then, or they, they're always, our system has always been a little maybe abstract outside looking in, but, but it's, it's always worked for us, you know, and every band's a little different, you know, sometimes guys want to do this. And when you deal with band, it's kind of like a sports team, right? Like you're not going to have your offensive line doing quarterback drills. Yeah. It just doesn't, they don't need to do that. You know, when it's time for the O-line, we're running the offense, they come up. So very sports related. That's how I've always been. I, 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 my, I had my scholarship to play basketball. I had a knee, knee injury. I always wanted to play for the Lakers. I was a Canadian citizen. So I was going to play for the Canadian Olympic team. So there are uh, circumstances would, uh, where you will move to LA. There, there are, there were, <laughs> there, I was kind of hoping, I was kind of hoping that that would be my, my first look into Los Angeles, but you know, I'm, um, what am I? Five, nine, five, ten. It didn't, uh, there's no way I'm going to be able to keep up with Shaquille O'Neal one, one box out of the lane. And you know, my career is over. So it was a uh, reality setting, but you know, when you're, when you're, you know, maybe most guys can relate, you know, at some point when you're 18 and maybe I was just naive, you know, you always think there's still a chance for you, you know, at some point you realize yeah. that, all right, this isn't going to be for me. I have to chase some different thing. And I never wanted a desk job. That was just not me. I just couldn't do it. You know, so I knew early on in life that I didn't know what I wanted to be, but I knew what I didn't want to be, you know, so that makes sense. And then, so, you know, started writing and diving in and my brother was always the biggest prick, you know, so he always hated everything I wrote. So, you know, I would be like, what you think of this, man? And he'd be like, oh, dude, I don't, know. I don't like that. And I'd be like, damn it. You know, like, oh, it doesn't like this. So I'd always try to and my brother and I are close in age, you know, he's part, actually now part of the manager of the band and, and he, he was a lawyer and he was going to go be the lawyer in the record label and I was going to be the artist and that was our big master plan, you know, so he was in the meantime, tough as nails on me. So, you know, having him as a, as a kind of an inspiration and kind of that little fuel 
you know, I was always trying to impress him and write a song where he could want to play with his boys and be like, yo, this is fire. And, you know, my brother at the time was listening to Rage Against Machine and Pearl yeah. Jam song, yeah. and you name it, you know, like all these rock dudes. And I was probably listening to more hip hop in the time, you know, or maybe like more kid rock type rap and rock. You know, I wasn't obviously I loved Rage and Pearl Jam, but but he was probably listening to that more. He was in a band before me, you know, and I was still chasing the sports dream, you know, okay. so I was a little late to the party. But now fast forward back to, you know, writing and. You know, I, I just took it different. You know, I, I was just very serious. I remember, you know, I, I was just always good at expressing myself, you know, and, and being able to kind of not keep my stuff in. And, and the guitar, I think, really helped me do that. And then as, uh, you know, I, I was my first love. Like, I didn't really care about being in a rock band. I just wanted to write, you know, okay. and, and I okay. wanted to hear myself on a CD. And in those days, that was just everything, you know, to put your CD in the car with your buddies and, you know, have your buddies be like, dude, that's dope. That's fire. You know, that's cool. So you know, true. so. In, in those days, you know, if you're a musician, you just wanted to play it for your, your pals and just have everyone kind of, you know, be like, wow, dude, you seen Lee, man, he can, he can crush that guitar. That was that was kind of like that first step. That was good enough for me, you know. And then, of course, that led to that's not good enough. They all love my song. Who cares? I want like the, I want to make something maybe I can get on the radio, you know, and yeah, then led to that. And then um, I remember we had a song called Somebody Like You that was the first the first big hit. Then I, I that we went down to work with Kid Rock's dude Al Sutton and the team over there that now did the, the they did the they did the recent uh, Greta Van Fleet stuff you know that broke oh, them okay. so nice. Van Fleet down to the same pop evil team that we originally started with and they're awesome guys they just ooze Detroit Rock City they just I, I don't think you can and actually Marlon Young who's now Kid Rock's uh, guitar player lead guitar player he was he was doing the uh, lipstick on the mirror record and the early stages with me as well before he had uh, got the job with bob so these guys were just so talented and they were like big brothers you know they came in and and, and it really kind of helped shape my head and where i was at and i knew then like okay let's get this dialed in and then once the the video for somebody like you was done yeah i uh i i had a buddy out there that was working for dreamworks for steven spielberg and he's like, you know, I go, I got to shoot him. I had a buddy in town in Grand Rapids here that was like, look, can, can he shoot a, can he shoot a video for me? He's like, yeah, it'll be costly. I remember he was going to do the video for me. I don't know, something stupid. It was between 40 and 50 K, I think. Ooh. I didn't have that. I didn't have that kind of money, you know? So I'm like, well, how to, so I found some investors, you know, that were really excited about the project and they, all they wanted in return was they just wanted to be involved they wanted to be there you know and, and do all that and amazing so they, they were great you know they were they they had a little bit extra money and they, they were you know really interested in kind of giving us the launch you know and then once we had the video i think we had Britt goth in it who used to be the star of the eighth and ocean show at mtv so i mean my brother locked that down um unfortunately we took a gamble on that show being the biggest thing on mtv and we were going to use uh, uh we originally wanted lauren from uh what was it what was it uh, from Laguna Beach, that show from MTV, oh, really? <laughs> but we thought Ethan Ocean was going to be the uh, the bigger one, so that was our first fail. Um, but uh, so, so uh, obviously, gonna, but Laguna Beach, in all fairness, Laguna Beach was was bigger too. So Lauren would have been way more expensive. But yeah. we went with Brit, thinking that okay, well, what if this becomes bigger anyways? And they only had one season; it was sucked. But the video still turned out rad, and you know that led us to um, getting. Um, I remember setting up a meeting with our local radio station and then, and it was, it was crazy. You know, there were PDs and MDs and I had no idea what any of that stuff was. Yeah. I just knew we had a buddy there that was working the nighttime shift. And, and then we had the syndicated show Freeburn hot wings, which is a massive syndicated show now around the country uh, with multiple uh, outlets and they were from Grand Rapids. So we had a huge syndicated show that was in our backyard. So oh, I remember wow. he was telling me that they were going to all be there. And I sat down and literally first thing out of my mouth, I had, I had the, CD singles on every seat. There's like 20 chairs and this huge long table. And I went and dude, I'm, I don't know. I'm 20 years old. I, yeah. I'm young. You know, like I, I sit down and I, I have no clue. By the way, not, my dad's a doctor and my mom's a, my mom was a stay at home mom. Like we don't have any, they don't, they don't have a clue. They can't, they can't, there's nothing you can buy your way into any of this. This was all me, you know? So, so, um, uh, and my dad's from India. So my dad has no clue about the music business, you know? So, so, uh, I'm sitting at these, I got little CD singles for everyone around the table. This was a pivotal time for Pop Evil, no doubt about it. Wow. And I had the laptop up and I showed everyone the laptop and I started the meeting with this. I was like, you know what, guys? I'm not here to have you play my my record. That's not what this is about. I just want you to know what a local band in your backyard is doing. If you need covers, we can play covers. If you need if you need uh, any kind of openings for national artists, we are here. We can play uh, 45 minute sets with uh, all originals, or we can play three hour we can play three uh, three hour sets 
like all covers, like whatever you want us to do, we're here. We just want to work with you and uh, just just kind of educate you on what we're doing. I went out to, we went out to LA, shot this video with Bridge, said all the stuff I kind of said to you. And, you know, this is what we have going on. Literally, the PD called me within 15 minutes and said, we're adding your record to power. I'm like, I don't even know what that means. What's that mean? And then we went from like maybe a freak of nature getting played on the radio to now we were like on the radio. And again, keep in mind, this is 05, so 05-ish, 06 maybe. So yeah. now all of a sudden, we, the big fish in the small pond, now we're starting to get 1,000 to, to 1,200 to, to 1,500 a night to what we do because now there's just starting to be lines around. And, and again, we're, we're, this is college. So we ran, Grand Rapids is a big city, but it's not that big. Like word got out, like we started... It was like Project X, the movie, wow. right? It was like Project X, the movie. I remember this story with, it's my crossfade story. It's, it's an awesome story. I still love those guys to this day. They came down to play Grand Rapids and they'll probably tell you the same thing. They, um, we had a pop evil house. It was like Project X, like the movies, like the movies, not quite that many people. But, but I remember when we were done, we played with crossfade, I think at Muskegon, which is an hour away, we invited them back to the pop evil house in GR. They came down and, and I remember we were raging. The neighbors called the police, something like that. Police came down. And and we knew the police, so we knew we were gonna we were gonna break Crossfade's balls a bit. And I remember them coming over, and the cops came to like, look, we're gonna have to take anyone in. And we're just like, oh, sorry, officer, you know, we can't do. It. And then next thing you know, the 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 officer, this was a different era, and we were all drinking <laughs> beers, whatever it was. And I remember grabbed grabbed it from one of the Crossfade guys, and he goes, you've been drinking this, and they're like scared out of their minds, you know. <laughs> and then next thing you know, the cop picks it up and takes a sip. And sits down by by with us and say, like, "How was the show tonight?" They just lost it. They're like, "What?" I'm like, dude, we told you, we run this town, man. It was like just, it was just an awesome wow. time. Different you know? times, mean, indeed. It was a different time, you know. And and, uh, and the cops were just they're, they're, shoot. They we grew up with them. You yeah. know what I mean, so they were like, we weren't right about some neighbors. They did tell us they're like, well, just you know, they sat down with us. You know, had a. I mean, they didn't drink a whole beer, but they were just messing with them. You know, what I mean, they weren't just took a sip, I think, to mess with them. But they were sit, they sat down with us for like an hour or two. <laughs> they were on the clock, you know, like they just sat down. And I mean, it was probably two in the morning. So, I mean, I don't know what craziness was going on, but it was just awesome. You know, I mean, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was a fun time. I mean, it was a scary time for the band because we had no idea, you know, we were going to yeah. get signed at that time, you know, but I remember then shortly after that, you know, we started to, to really blow things up at radio locally, you know, and then, of course, you think at that point, you're like, oh, my God, we're good. this is crazy. This is huge. And you don't realize it's just one town. But that led to, you know, some management coming in and, and, and you know, really starting to say, wow, like, what are these guys doing? And, and it's true, you know, like you don't have to move if you make a big enough uh, if you make big enough noise and wherever you are, they'll, they'll come to you. Stay tuned for more Song Facts podcast right after this. Ever wonder how my voice is bouncing off your eardrums so clean and crispy? No? Well, let me tell you anyway. The Lyra Microphone by AKG brings their legendary acoustic engineering to a versatile USB mic that delivers the highest quality audio in its class. USB connection. This is good for me because of the simplicity and the ability to just plug and play without an interface. You may have gathered from various episodes that I am doing this show on the road, so being that I record most interviews in a different location than the last, it is good for me to know that I have a high-quality, easy-to-transport-and-use USB mic like the Lyra to make sure my sound is clean. Whether you're like me and recording a podcast, a musician recording vocals or an instrument, or if you need to do a voiceover for a YouTube channel... Lyra's innovative AKG Adaptive Capsule Array adapts to your performance to record pristine audio. It has four versatile capture modes. What's a capture mode, you ask? That is how the mic picks up your voice. Just trust me, with these four options, it's really all you're going to need. With AKG Lyra, you'll be up and running in no time, no matter your experience level. There's no assembly, no need for separate audio interface, no fiddling with software settings. It just works right out of the box. And Lyra is something that is compatible with Windows, Mac, iOS, and Android devices, and all major recording softwares. So... If you're looking for a mic that offers ease of use along with a high-quality sound, check out the AKG Lyra and look no further. It kind of seems, it, it definitely kind of seems that way. Even if it's, you know, it doesn't have to be 
a big prominent named place either, but it, it can help to go to those places. But if you are really devoted and you can make some noise where you are locally, I, I completely agree with that. I've seen it happen before. I'm yeah. You, you've got, a, I love how vivid your memory of all this is. And I want to try and go back. I, I want to talk about your, what, what you guys have coming up here too, because it's really sure, exciting absolutely. stuff. But absolutely. before we do that, I just want to know, so you've grinded it out. You you start out, you're playing covers, you're going down to Florida, you're playing La Vila, which I can't even imagine what that would have been like at that time. I was there probably Insane. like a decade ago, but that's, if anyone doesn't know, that was a massive fucking club with like, yeah. I mean, it would be thousands of thousands of drunk college kids in there. So you've done all this. You You've got a couple albums under your belt, but my question is, do you remember where you were and what your reaction was when that phone call or whoever it was that you found out that your song Trenches hit number one on the active rock radio chart. Yeah, dude, I remember that very vividly. We were um, we were in Sioux Falls, uh, South Dakota, and we were with uh, some good friends, some promoter friends over there. Okay, that uh, you know, we were kind of family with. Again, when the poppy, then again, a little backstory of that. Now, now you're taking me to now the pop evil's born, right? Now we're touring. This is our third album. Yep, and 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 we're excited. You know, we we uh, before this though, the, the backstory on this is we. We sign our first record deal. We upstream to a major, and now it gets real, real. Right now, they, they, uh, for whatever reason, you know, rock is what it is, and they, this particular label wants to shelf us. So we're like, okay. Well, of course, we don't know what that means at the time. We're like, okay, well, whatever. We just made a record. It was, it was a very expensive album. What do you mean? Yeah. We're gonna shelf it? I mean, and they had songs like "Boss's Daughter," "Monster You Made," which are two of our last man standing, three of our biggest songs of our old catalog. You know, and. Uh, these that now we're threatening that these aren't going to go out. And again, this is our second album. We really, it's really our first album because this was under a major label, blah, blah, blah. And we're, yep. we're so excited. We've been in the studio in Chicago with Johnny K who did disturbed and three doors down. I mean, this is like big boy ball. This is like, you know, no more minor leagues. We're in the real deal and so excited. And then as soon as we get it out, we're like, yeah, well, we can't release it. I'm like, well, what do you mean? <laughs> you know? So that was a big debacle. Very, very true. It was, it was just such a rough time. And then finally E1, our current label came to the party and really got us out of that mess. But on the flip side, now the band's in debt. That's our first big taste now of real debt. Uh, okay. So that really hindered us being able to tour other countries, getting our spreading our bank because we literally didn't have the extra income coming in. But when we made it, we had to pay the bills we had, you know, so yeah. that leads now to uh, the third album with, with Johnny K. This album, we came with Morton. Now, you know, my I lose my dad. Now there's an anger and there's there's an aggro vibe where it wasn't there before. You know, look, look, we grew up in Wisconsin, Wisconsin. How mad can we be, man? It's not yeah. like, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's good. It was a good life. I mean, I had parents that loved me. You know, I chased a dream. It wasn't like we were trying to, you know, struggle for food every day. I mean, we weren't we weren't we weren't wealthy by no means. But you know how it is in the Midwest. It's not it's not too terrible. It's not as hard as being, you know, in some of these crazy inner cities that, that are just, they have it so much, they have different cards being dealt. hundred so, percent. You know, I, I, I understand that, exactly. Yep. But with that said, now the third album, I mean, I'm pissed, you know, my dad's gone, my, 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 he was my stability, you know, I mean, he was first generation in this country. He was my everything, you know, he always, I, I think back, you know, on those early, early days and, and he, the computers are starting to become, and he's like, well, what do you want? Here we go. You're getting ready for school. I remember maybe first year of college or somebody's like, you know, what do you want? I think we got to get your computer. Do you want a computer? And I remember I passed up the computer. I wanted this dope Prince looking Ibanez guitar. Right? <laughs> it's so far. I have it to this day. I've never played it once. It is like, it is insane. I remember showing Johnny K because Johnny K's collection is just insane. Oh yeah. He's like, can I get that guitar? It's just insane. I'm like, nope, it's for my kids. One down the day, I didn't even play it. I even touched it, you know, but I remember, you know, I didn't even have to fight hard. I go, dad, you know, is it, uh, screw the computer. Can I just get this guitar? And, and I didn't even know how to play the electric very good at the time, you know? And he's like, all right, no problem. And that was the kind of dad he was like, yeah. he once he knew I was passionate about something like he was like, I'm in, you know, forget about it. And I remember him saying, you know, like, hi, 
well, if you graduate, you know, we'll get you this and that. And then I was like, I don't want to graduate. This is lame. I'm not going to do that. I don't want to use. I ended up graduating, but he was, he was, you know, he tried to do the right thing and give me the ultimatum. But in the end, he would yeah. always support. And up until his last day, I remember singing Monster You Made. It was his favorite song in his ear before he, before he passed, you know, and he gave me a little squeeze. He, he had a heart attack, so he had a heart arrhythmia. So he was pretty much, you know, in a coma. So one, you know, the last, uh, anyone who's had to pull the plug on a loved one, it's, there's no words, there's no words. So to no. actually sing Monster Made and have him squeeze me a bit before he took his last breath, something that uh, there's nothing more beautiful and, and disturbing at the same time, you know, it just changed me. And, and, and it started with anger and it started with, um, a lot of reckless thoughts, you know what I mean? In my head, okay. and that led to an amazing album, you know? And then of course we do trenches and I felt like I had to dig my way out of this huge hole that I was in, you know? And then, so yeah, the first, the first number one with trenches, I mean, I remember, I remember when, I think I remember more about ad day. I remember ad day. I remember laying in the bunk on, on Johnny K studio, downtown Chicago, right by white Sox stadium. Okay. And I remember, yeah being in tears being like dude number one most added or we had you know more than half the stations that was the first time we ever had that kind of love at radio with that many stations coming in we were starting to become more of a you know a prominent radio band and, and just just the tears rolled down like wow what if this song does become a big hit and then i remember when it did hit we uh you know we were having cigars and i'm not a smoker but we had a couple cigars that day and in, in, in south it's south dakota and just gathering with the band and us kind of all being excited about that and it was uh it was up but but to be honest i don't have as many vivid memories about that just because i was so numb that was this really happening you everything know I, mean? that, I i could see that yeah. and i mean to me it's yeah. like yeah that's almost too yeah. big to wrap your head around in the moment right. that's like one of those reflection points where it's so the dust has to settle a little bit and you've got to come back on it yeah. Um, okay. So you guys have done, you know, we're jumping around a lot here, but you've done a lot since then, but we gotta, we gotta fit in some time to talk about this new album. So you guys sure, have been sure. working on the new album. It's called versatile. Um, and from what I can find, you guys started working on this in 2019. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. And outside of obvious things like a global pandemic, um, any reason that this has taken this kind of time? only the pandemic you know I mean, really? we, we we just finished we finished the most for the most part all of it around march last year and i remember we just got ready to do the photo shoots in la and then you know the mayor's like we're shutting down los angeles and we were all like oh my god you know if they're gonna shut down we were already looking forward to to i think in in april to have maybe a month off which is very rare in the pop evil world we normally yep. get two weeks so we were excited you know to kind of recharge our batteries i know Haley was gonna fly back to europe and really get to spend that time because we just gotten off big tours and, and that stuff. So we were, we were pretty drained, but, um, you know, then of course the mayor says, Hey, pandemic, everyone was confused. Everyone, like most people in the world. Okay, well let's go home. Maybe it'll just be, so we didn't even really get to enjoy that time off. Cause we were like, are we even going to be able to work, you know, and the, well, yeah, exactly. the, the album, yep. And then we thought the, the album was supposed to come out there in spring and then we were going to ju immediately jump on that spring tour, you know? So, um, I think the first couple of months were a bit like, Oh my gosh, we're going to, we actually probably, thought we'd still be back out touring so that's kind of where our heads mm -hmm. were right when this uh, right when this pandemic started okay so i i do want to give a huge shout out to you guys drummer for their work on breathe again unbelievable stuff and it just it just absolutely stands out to me I, it got me wondering why is this one of the first that you got first tunes that you guys released for the album well the original uh, a lot of different variables that we wanted to do on this album different than the past so but i'll start with the drums um um i want to say we, we we wanted to do things um let me see i want to answer this um you were always trying to, you're always trying to outdo your, your, your other, your other albums, right? I mean, it's the competitive business. Yes. You want to be right up there with all the greats. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, when you really talk about legacy, 
what do you leave behind? And, and, and you want, you want someone, especially your family and friends, right? I mean, obviously your legions and your legions of fans and the people that you love when you tour it, that those people that have become a part of your life, you think about your, 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 your family who you give up when you're on tour, right? Cause you sacrifice so much to do what you do and to be on the road full time that, you know, you take a lot for granted with your family that's back home and maybe paying the bills or, or keeping things kind of afloat. So you can leave for months on end and get these things dialed in. So you yeah. think about them, they're like, what are we going to leave and dial in and really like leave a mark? And, and, and how do we better that next thing? And obviously Haley's now been with us. This is her second album with us. We really wanted to, uh, again, challenge ourselves. We did things a little different. The uh, take, to, how about this? We did do things. The last album, take the things we liked about that process and, and, and keep it and then take the things we don't like about that process and do it differently this way. Okay. And, you know, and a lot of it stems from me first, obviously they don't necessarily write lyrics first. I mean, they, they wait sometimes for me to kind of see what comes out, you know, and then obviously if they have a lyric or it's all per song basis. So I'm kind of giving you a, a gist, a gist, but like if someone feels anything, we don't think of ourselves as position players once we're writing it's like we're people you know what i mean and if they have an idea and they want moguls go for it if they want to come up with drum parts themselves or i want to do we, we don't think about that we think about song and who it's done and you know and of course Haley with the drums came later in the process so once we yeah. kind of dialed in i just knew that the drums needed to hit harder than anything so it wasn't so much about what she didn't do on the last record it was like giving her time to not only play but to to, to give ourselves days or weeks to manipulate drum tones and to start start listening and comparing things that we never really gave ourselves time for in the past. Okay. Interesting. So is it, I guess one of the, do, do you think that in the end, having the extra time to really work on things and hammer into those details is going to be the a result that if you would have released it, if the pandemic wouldn't have happened, this album might've had a different sound. Nope, the album was done before the pandemic. Oh, you guys are just waiting because you want to get behind it and try and play some shows with it. Correct. We we I mean we had mixing and mastering to do, but the the core was done. I mean, I think I demoed early on. Like with this album was a little different. Like I I hate studios. Yeah. So I just think it's stale and you're always under the gun and it's 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 becomes a money thing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, don't get me wrong, studios are cool, right? They they bring you in and especially when you're in a bigger band, right? They they kind of bring you in they show you everything like ah by the way and then of course then your manager will tell you later that by the way it costs this much in there they don't yeah, yeah. tell you that <laughs> you know they tell you oh look at this vocal booth like led zeppelin was in here robert play you know like oh my god you see you get all caught up you're like dude you guys got unlimited coke this is sweet no quarters oh you got a pinball machine damn dog this i'm in you know your manager call you he's like yeah by the way it's 400 an hour i'm um, just you have just just when you're in the drinking fountain you know by the way when you take a dump there you know it's 800 dollars. and then i'm like yeah so you're telling me it's forty thousand dollars just for two days or what you know what i mean something like that and i'm like oh my hey, god no. like i'm not i'm not doing that stuff and and then like so it starts with again it, it starts with me right it starts with your singer in, in in this particular situation with this band you're talking to him so i'm giving you my version first because i'm me right i can't haley's got a different vibe or, yeah. or my guitar player is a bass player would have a different vibe but for me what i can't stand about the process is 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 the redo and what i mean by that is here you go demo i demo 30 songs and again i write i write for myself i write so as soon as i get done off tour and i don't write on tour anymore because okay. we tour so much that i don't my voice is broke by the time yeah. I'm done with the song, sing, I'm not. I, the last thing I want to do is talk, let alone sing. And when you're writing, you want your voice to be able to hit falsetto. You want you to be able to, you know, to be able to, you know, have elements of a tenor. Maybe you want to sing a little bit soprano. Can you push it, or am I just singing bass all the time? You know, yeah, so true. So it, it's it's interesting when I get back, and and I like to do it in L.A. You know, so I'm I, 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 I'm from Michigan, so everything about L.A. is not like Michigan. That's why I love it. You know what I mean? Like it's yep. just totally different. I love being out there. The air is just different to me i don't know everyone's got that place you know like if you visit or whatever some people's florida some people's arizona you know but for me it's just been hollywood and la and even when i write i stay in hollywood like i don't i don't like going out to malibu and all the rich areas i like being in the ghetto because that's how we grew up on the tour bus 
Like yeah. we go in the bathrooms at truck stops, man. That's it. Like yeah, I'll fight with my bro. He'll be like, you know, we go on a vacation. He's staying in the Carlton. I'm like, no, nah, dude, you go, what? You're staying in the super eight. I'm like, hey, hey, yeah, dude, I ain't gonna spend my, I spend my money on no dang Radisson. Give me a break or Hilton. Like, give me a break. I'll spend my money on the, on the journey. I'm like, where are we going to go? I'm not going to give it to Disney at that damn resort. Like that's ridiculous. Paid $90 for a damn ice cream. Amazing. No. No, you know, and he's like, well, I don't get out. You know, so, so again, that's mentality of rockers. Like the modern day rock star is broke. Like we are <laughs> yeah, the brokest sure. musicians at the for- Like if you take all musicians, all genres, we are the brokest. And I don't mean the, the royalty of the rock and metal universe. We're talking about the new bands. Yeah. Like the everyday blue collar rock bands. That's us. We're the broke. We still eat bologna. Sa- I had a bologna sandwich today, man. I don't even care. Like. That's what it is. Like, I love it's it. It's just the same thing. Like we come back, my buddies, we go to the same bar, we go to the same places. That's just that's rock. And most rockers do that. But you know, when I got in, we started diving in and writing these demos. I did 30 of them and only write the hook. You know, I don't gotta write the whole song. We go with the hook. That's the hook doesn't move. And then immediately send the hooks to my family and friends who know me the most, of course, the band, you know, managers, and see what they dig. If I don't get a text back immediately from when they hear it, then it's probably not good enough. That's the thing with this album, man. It all had to be heat. I remember talking to one of my uh, one of my role models. Uh, again, not not in the business, just a role model of mine. And I was like, you know, maybe he goes. I go, I, you know, we got a lot. These thirty here that I really like. There could be possibilities for the band. I want to see what the band thinks. Want to then we get together, see what they write, what they've been doing. And and then he was like, I go, well, maybe we'll hold some, you know, for another record. He goes, don't you dare. And I'm like, what do you mean? What do you mean? Don't hold it. And he goes, don't ever hold it. You're not guaranteed another album. And now does that ring true more than ever with this oh COVID my God. experience? Absolutely. You know what I mean? That like here I would have had these songs. I mean, yeah, maybe there's a couple. I mean, there's still a lot of great songs we didn't use, but I don't think about that anymore. Like if you really want, I got this Tom Brady mentality, man, lately have been watching a lot of this stuff on YouTube. The fact that he's like to this day, he's he he always plays like someone's going to try to take his job. And I mean, the seven titles, if he doesn't play good this year, guess what? The people are going to be talking about his career being over. So even if you're Tom Brady, people are going to be replacing you. So I thought that was very interesting to kind of relate. And I always take sports relate to my own world. You know, like how does that, how does that happen to me? And just because we had a number one song or just because this album might be the best that we've ever done or who knows, it doesn't mean anything. You're only as good as your last song or your last album. Like we got to keep going. So I wanted to use that as fuel to, okay, well, I got to outdo this next record then. You know, I can't put a bunch of filler on there. You know what I mean? Like, especially nowadays when albums are less and less relevant. Like, it's so important to me to put on as many great songs for the people that are like me that still buy records. That when I buy the first record, when I get my first vinyl, what I do, I smell it. Just like I did when I was a kid. I was like, man, that smells like you got a major label. That smells like a famous (laughs) album. You know, instead of my local one that I did at mom and pop shop, smells like, you know, a dirty, dirty back room or something. You know, I'm like, this smells like it's got an E1 label on it. You know, it smells great. You know, so... You know, those are the kind of mentality. And I know there's a lot of people like me, you know, like that's why touring, if you look at any rock touring or touring of any genre, where do they come through the most? The Midwest. People still buy records. They still do it the right way. It's not like New York and L.A. It's not like people are too busy for you. You know, here in the Midwest, people are bored out of their minds. They're waiting for you. Right. So it's like uh, this isn't my first rodeo with it, man. This is the sixth album. At some point, you've got to you're, I'm not you're not worried about what people think the same way. You're worried about surviving making a living, like taking care of other people in your life now. You know, it's like there's a lot of our crew that, that are relying on us to make the right decision. That That's a different kind of pressure that I wasn't thinking about on my first records, you know. And Yeah, I think that that's an angle of thought that a lot of people don't think about because you have to get to a certain level of success to be fortunate enough to be thinking that way. And I think the word that pops into my head when you're talking about this kind of stuff is fragility because it's I worked five years, I worked 10 years to build this thing up and I write, I come out and I have a dud and it kind of goes back to what you're saying about Tom Brady. He has six bad games to start off the season and all of a sudden questions are coming. You guys pop, put out a full album and it's just kind of like, there's no wind in the sails and it's like, wow, everything we've been doing for 20 years can be taken away just with the sweep of a broom. That's, that's, that's crazy stuff. It, it, it is it's scary stuff you know and that's and and that's it's, it's such a reality you know that that in any situation now obviously more more than it's ever been now everything's so amplified um yeah. and, and and rightfully so you, you know i mean 
we never would have thought we'd go through something like this. And, and then, um, you know, throw the music element in it. The fact that our whole survival is around people and, and fans, it's just, it's a well, lot to take in, you know, like one day at a time. And, 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 and this album, you know, I wrote, it's funny. I wrote, I wrote this over a year ago. So it's, it's, I've already written a whole nother album worth of stuff and whether I'm going to use it or not, who knows, you know, it's like, who cares? It's just a writing is just something when you're a writer, you do just naturally, you know, it just comes like, uh, you don't, you know, it's just like a, a, a baller probably goes to the gym to work out every day. Cause it's yeah. just, he does it. It's habit, you know, like it's the same thing with me. And, 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 uh, you know, you think about those capsules. I love this analogy when people ask about other artists about an album. It's like, you know, what were you thinking? I was like, I don't know. I'm already past that. Like, that's such a capsule of time moment. Yeah. Like, I went to LA for, 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 I lived in LA for about half a year and I wrote that. If you put me in LA tomorrow, I'd write something different. Like, it just, it was just that moment in time where it all came together with the perfect people, balanced producers, of course, your band members, your managers, your label, everyone gets together and lays the groundwork for you to hopefully be successful. And it's up to you to kind of maximize. And obviously I remember kind of where my head was at and then, but then you throw the pandemic in, it's like, oh my God, like all these songs mean something totally different to me now. So it's uh, it's definitely a different element that I think, and now being able to play these songs, like it's going to be so weird to play the songs for the first time and your whole fan base is singing every word like yeah. it's just it's like wow you know that and that's awesome don't get me wrong but there is an element of these songs are ours or mine until may 21 you know once they release they become public domain they're public property they're they're the fans now they're 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 not mine the same way so i mean i have you know a limited amount of time to kind of get my kind of uh, influence or have these songs help me in any way and then after that it's 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 not the only way the songs help me is when i see fans being moved and it reminds me that i'm not alone you know that wow people do feel like they want to breathe again too you know i mean that's obviously that's obvious with that song but you know like a song like torn to pieces again i never wanted to release that it was for my dad you know but and and it was tough for me for the first few years to play that yeah. song but now it's like I, I you don't you know you hear that term celebrate life and i was like that's the dumbest phrase i want to celebrate life i lost my, i lost my dad this is ridiculous i don't even want to hear it i don't get it and then and then uh, you know now i'm like finally like dude i get it like you know i'm not alone especially when i see those those guys emotional at shows you know it's one thing when you see a girl impactful and you definitely obviously as a as a guy you definitely have sympathy for a female don't get me wrong but yeah. when you see a guy and you constantly have to be tough for your family and wear that masculine role you know that like wow that guy that guy has pain too like i do like i'm so glad this song can help him and know that he's not alone because he's helping me at the moment. And that's like a split second when you see that guy on stage and he's maybe bawling and he's looking at you and you give him the horns back and you acknowledge him, you make contact, eye contact and he gives you that like knuckles and he's like, gives you that look that he's like, I got you, I'm here for you. And you give him that same look back. I mean, that, 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 that does, that resonates, you know, like it's, it's, it's different than a number one record, right? That's the real yep. purpose. Like you go, wow, like I, I'm having an impact. We're having an impact on people's lives. Like that is, that is the cool thing. And then sometimes people say, like, sometimes these these interviews are like, oh, you didn't do anything game changing with your music or you didn't do something through that. I'm like, ah, OK, you can judge. You can hold that as a judgment over me and any other An opinion. Band. But the true the true purpose of the band you're missing. Where's the interview on the fact that having a positive impact in people's lives? Right. You think about that that moment in time when teachers, uh, um, loved ones, moms, dads, brothers, sisters, they couldn't help you. Your doctors couldn't help you. Who was there? Music. How about just the vibe of being interviewed on the fact that like, it's our turn. It's our responsibility to pay it forward. Yeah. Right. It's not, it's, I don't have to, no one said I had to pay it forward because of my millions of records sold. Who cares? I mean, don't get me wrong. That would be very unbelievable, <laughs> but we're still making an impact. It's just like that story. When you get back to the roots, like you're playing one show with 10 people there. Well, what about the nine people outside of your mom that might be there that has never heard you? That might be like, oh, I like them, you know, and, and I never really understood that early on because all you saw was the chicks and the, the thousands of people that aren't there, you know, yeah. and like as you get older, you're like, dude, this isn't about sales. This is, yeah, that'd be great. That'd be awesome. You know, Grammys and all that stuff, like who cares? But the reality is 
dude, seeing that guy looking back at you or that person from the stage acknowledging you and put your hands up and everybody throws your hands up. That is powerful. That is making a difference and a positive influence on people's lives. And to me, you know, I can look at myself in the mirror and know that I'm making a small impact in the world to do something for the good. Right. I mean, it doesn't have anything to do about what genre I'm in or, you know, how many tickets I'm selling. It just, it's, it feels right. You know, yeah. and knowing that when you're going in the studio, I'll make an album thinking about other people when you write, that's kind of where I, and, and again, I, the band would have to speak to them individually where they are. But for the most part, as a team, we, we really, it really resonates. I know with my band members, the lyrics that we write, I mean, they're proud of the way that, you know, we can just send some positive influence. That's always been what's pop evil mean. And it means positive message with our songs. Always. It doesn't matter what song you hear there's always a positive message at the end to hopefully, you know, there'll be a correlation in the up and down, which I think leads to a lot of that different style and different yeah. sounds. Like we're, we're a hodgepodge. I love the questions. They're like, well, well you know, you have a, your album's very, your music's very versatile. I'm like, we have five different people in our band, by the way, one's from the UK. One's a long haired bass player with American Indian heritage. Okay. And then we have a Mexican rhythm guitar player who's hundred <laughs> percent Mexican. Okay. Then we have a white guy who is, 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 is have German descent and he's from Pittsburgh. Okay. And then he lived, grew up in Michigan and he's constantly being slammed on me for his Pittsburgh Steeler roots. Cause I'm a Detroit lion and he's <laughs> slamming me all the time because we suck. And then, and then there's me when my dad was from India, my mom's Canadian. So it's like, what did you expect the music to sound like, dude? Like, I mean, come on, dude. Like we always are open to each other's um, tastes and preferences. You know, if someone comes into the camp and they're like, well, we want to try this we're the type of band that's like, well, let's try it. You know, if we yeah. don't like it, let's try it. Let's that's, we'll call that version a, if so-and-so likes a different, let us do version B. And then we'll see, you know, at some point, maybe I, and then I, if I have to, I'll be like, well, I'm the one singing it. So let's at least, if I'm feeling this one, give me the respect that if I have to sing it, then let's do that one. And they're like, absolutely. You know what I mean? Like they, they it's, it's a great team effort. I wouldn't even say that we always get along, but we're like brother and sister. We always respect each other. You know what I'm I saying? Like so a lot. And, and, um, that's kind of the situation. Like everyone knows their role. Like everyone's in the starting lineup. Not everyone can be LeBron, but I got a bunch of Kyrie and Kevin Durant. You know, not everyone can be Steph Curry, but what about Clay? You know I mean? <laughs> like, you can't win that title without, it's just, it's just, everyone does their role, right? I mean, if I'm working on those lyrics and they're, they're hustling their own thing. And a lot of times what we did this album that I thought was very unique and very clever is fans don't always understand. Not every song is all of us in a room at the same time because then people are bored out of their minds because sometimes mm -hmm. when someone's got some creative flow going, you want them to suss it out. You know, okay, well, it's a suss out. Well, I'm not going to, I don't want to say anything and ruin that vibe. You might have to flush it out. And some people need a little more time to flush it out than others. And some songs require a little more thought than others. So what we noticed in the past is like when someone, when we're sitting we could be doing other things nowadays with emails and everything like stuff can be emailed. I can be in a session by myself and immediately the guys can be, and the girl, our drummer Haley can be resting in their hometown with their families and friends and they can get the email that night and then easily email some stuff. And then of course, when this is the demo I'm talking about. And then of course, when we record, everybody's familiar, we can try those ideas out, blah, 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 blah. It just seemed like we were having more fun this time around, you know, and a lot of these vocals, are, are my first takes like i i'm so against like i love like breathe again i'll talk about since that's that's where our big one at the moment like uh -huh. like breathe it breathe again started with the demo process i knew right when i wrote it it was going to be pop evil this was magical there's something special about the song i knew it was going to connect with our fans did i know it was going to be a number one song absolutely not you know what i mean like i have no clue i mean you're you hope all your I, I, let me not be not i hope all my songs are number one songs right i mean let's be real you know like i i, I think if it's good enough to make my record I want it to be as close as possible to being a hit song, you know, but mm -hmm. breathe again, just felt different. It felt great. The music was just hitting hard. We knew that the evil and pop evil, we really wanted to let our metal root shine. Cause you know, as a radio band early on in our career, we, we it just, it, it wasn't really, we, there was no streaming was different. We, we didn't want to write these heavy songs that, you know, we were told in our early days that we weren't going to get played. Yeah. So, okay, well we had to get in where we fit in. We were never known as the big indie band. That's not pop evil. It's never been us. You know what I mean? So, okay, you have to be smart in this business to understand where your best opportunity is to break in. So radio was it. When we're grateful, we love radio. Again, Michigan uh, doesn't revolve without radio because radio represents community to a lot of these Midwest towns. So that was all good. You know, so once we started 
diving in streaming kind of was is becoming bigger look bands like five finger opening doors for other bands to be heavier i mean you know five finger 25 30 years ago you're going to tell me they'd be number one on the charts as much as that i don't think they would but they're an amazing band and i'm grateful that they are you know because it's totally opened the doors now uh radio is different more than it's ever been everyone's changing right it's just different we're all figuring it out kind of as we go and and trying to make the best decisions what's best for our businesses and and our entities so as that's happened, I mean, you take, we released, when this album started, we released uh, Chaos Rain and we released Work. So we released Chaos Rain, which is our heaviest song to date, and then Work, which is our most versatile experimental song, mm-hmm. you know, to date as well. So you take our heaviest song that we knew wasn't going to be a radio single, and now it's, we're approaching 10 million streams uh, at, on Spotify. It's crazy. The yeah, streaming it's wild. Streams, it's wild, right? It's just totally, you, it, you don't even have to think radio single the same way we did. We just released. So then I think work is approaching 10, 10 million streams. And now uh, Breathe Again, that's just just still on the charts. I mean, it's at 5 million. So you're looking before the album's out. Granted, we're in COVID, but I mean, we're 30 million streams. So yeah. people are familiar with this music in a way that they've never been able to be before. So there are a lot of positives and pros about these situations and you know uh, and again a kudos to the managers and the labels and of course the band like being open to this early on to be like hey well we're just going to write we don't need to have, limit ourselves anymore at all we're going to write as heavy as we want to be and still my voice is the tie that binds it and we can be experimental as we want to be with respect to our old catalog and the fans that have been with us from the beginning so you know when you're thinking about those things I wanted to do something that they all say your live show is that's what you're famous for. That's what we all love. And there's an energy with the live show that is lost when we do these demos. And then I find one guy to come in who may or may not know anything about pop evil because he just needs to get paid. And therefore he's done four other 15 other artists could be this year. And now he has to go put all his marbles in me. And I'm relying on this guy to do like my whole career is in this guy's hands. It just doesn't make any sense. It's bullshit. It doesn't make any sense. And I'm not slamming any of my producers because I've had the best and they are freaking unbelievable. Uh But to me, I'm over it because this is where it really affects me. It's not a producer thing. I'll go do Breathe Again, these demos. I'm so excited about it. I've just played it for you. You and me have been in the car. We went up to Panera Bread because we're trying to eat healthy because, you know, even though I've been uh, I've been listening to Rob Helford on my Judas Priest tour in 2010 to now Poison and Cheap Trick back in 2018, <laughs> all telling me the same thing. You got to be healthy, Lee. Got to take care of that voice. So I'm going Panera Bread get the salad now, you know, and you, I'm playing the demo for you and we're jamming out. And you're like, holy shit, that's dope, dude. This is so, this is going to be a nice launch for Pop Evil. Great. Everything's going as planned. Manager calls me. Guess what? This one guy is going to do our record. Okay, cool. We're going to move to this city to do it. Next thing you know, we're going to get right in the vocal booth. And he's going to be, are you ready to redo these vocals? And I'm going to be like, hell no, I'm not ready to do these vocals. I love the vocal I did. You know, so (laughs) your battle is back and forth. Chase this devil. Next thing you know, I'm like, you record it. And it's just the energy or that it factor. Because you hear it all the time, right? You can go to the protocol. We can go to the NFL Combine. We can go look at rookies tell the cock come home. I can check all these these sports cards and check them out. But it's the guys with the it factor. The it factor. What is it? It's it. I don't, there is no explanation. You just have it or not. You I agree have with that. it or you don't. And that's the same with songs, right? What makes Pantera walk? Like when we play it at a wedding, why does grandma get up for that song, but she doesn't get up for anything else? Well, it's got an it factor, right? Do you think Grandma cares that's Pantera and that Phil Insomno's voice is lower than a thunderstorm? Like, do you think she cares about any of that? She doesn't care because she likes the song. It has it for her. So the point is that when you feel like a demo has it, and I played it for you at the restaurant we were talking about, and you're liking it, why do I want to mess with that? So like a lot of these songs, Breathe Again, for example, you're hearing the first takes. I mean, that's it. You know, I mean, even a song like Work, um, it's spoken word. I remember just taking, I remember working with the producer there and he's like, what are we going to do for the verse? I'm like, well, you know, I started back in the day. I mean, doing poetry, I would show up at like Barnes and Nobles on every Tuesday and we would just do poetry. Readings. <laughs> I mean, people don't understand like a lot of singers, there's a story behind them. Not everyone. There's a, there's very few of us singers out there that really just, I call them the Allen Iversons. They're just, they don't need practice. They just show up and they're badass. You know, I, I imagine in my head, Chris Cornell was probably one of those guys. Like it just, yeah. it didn't matter what that guy did. He could probably just be in any room and sing. Even his bad singing is probably better than any, a, a lot of great singers out there. You know, it's just because some people just have it. 
but for the rest of us, we have to work, you know, so I'd go to poetry me. I'd always be constantly trying. And I remember, I remember my producer at the time, he's just like, you know, why don't you just spoken word that? And, you know, it's just like, it's been 90 days since I've seen the friends since I had some time to allow this. It's not even in my rock voice, but we were like, let's just go for it. Like, let's, let's have fun. Like, and that was the thing that, that I learned at this record that we weren't doing on previous records is once it became work, next song, scrap yep. it, scrap it. Like, I think not, that's really it's smart. Just, it, it's just smart, right? It, it sounds obvious, but but it's just so many bands and we got caught in the, at least for us, we got caught in the, just the, the, the we got caught up in the flow. Like, okay, this is work. We got to show up to work. I'm like, that. I don't show up to work. This is a dream job because it's fun. We show up to the studio. We don't show up to work. So again, that was a big part. Like I'm not recording, I'm not doing any of my parts in any studio. I'm doing them in houses. I'm doing it in people's houses around LA. We're just going to house hop to an in-home studio and bounce. And once I did it, cool, let's do it. I mean, obviously I had to do some verse work up until the fourth quarter before the album was done. But for the most part, you're hearing an energy on this album that is first takes. It's the first couple sessions, you know? And then we were, once we knew that those demos were going to be possibilities for this record, then we brought the team in. You know, then we're like, okay, well, look, let's bring this. What do the guitar players want here? You guys got any ideas here on this? And that vibe just carried on to the next. I mean, every song again was different. Maybe, maybe band members had different vibes as, as we come and go. But for the most part, from a lyrical standpoint, like it was once, once, once our front man, which happens to be me, once he was feeling that energy, that's where we knew. I mean, kudos to the band to understand that once that energy was positive and, and, and our front man was having the fun, then that's where we wanted to live in that space because we knew that was going to translate to our live show. Cause number one, all of it now, all of this goes back to our live show. When you have five albums and we've had the success we've had, people come watch a pop evil show and expect to hear certain songs. So without playing those, I, I, I don't have a show. I'm going to upset people. So it's a very thin line on how many new songs I can add to the set list. So when we do add it, we have to be thinking about what elements are we missing? How can we show people those peaks and valleys more relatable to life? So when they come see a pop people show, you know, we can be, they can leave going, wow, man, I can use some of this to my daily life. Like they, they know what it's like to be through torn to pieces. Like, wow, I, I, I don't remember going to a Rage Against, who's one of my favorite bands all time. And, you know, I can't wait to go see a couple of these new shows coming up, but I don't leave a Rage Against Machine fan crying. I, I leave, or emotional. I leave pissed off and being like, hell yeah, man, I got some confidence. And that's okay. Yeah, that's okay. That's what that is. band gives to you. You know, but we, I've always wanted to be a band that gives you more relatable. You can tell by my interviews. Like I live this 24 seven. Like I, I can talk to you. I can give lectures just as I could sing you a song. It's just the person I am. Yeah. You know, I'll talk this till the cows come home. And I want people to see that as much as possible on stage. And, you know, that energy to me on this record was so important that they can see another aspect of not only in the band, but me as a front man. And, and you can get that with that connection with the lyrics and the vocals. And it definitely, it definitely happens. You, whatever I've, I've been able to listen to it and you guys opening yourselves up creatively and doing things in that little bit of a different way. Just, it worked. It's a killer album. It's dropping on May 21st. And Lee, I just can't thank you enough, man. Thanks for coming on the show. Your energy is just contagious. And like you said, you want people to leave shows feeling a certain way. I'm leaving this just feeling a ton of inspiration and, and, and doing what I'm doing. And I hope that other people that listen kind of get the same thing because you can feed off of it when someone like you is doing what they were meant to be doing here, knows it, and just can just sing it and say it so purely. So thank you so much for your time, man. Well, absolutely. And, and, and right back at you, because without your energy back, you don't you don't pull it out of me. Right. Because we do so many interviews, and especially that's a big part of me. I want to do all the interviews I can because nobody knows pop evil like me. You want to hear from me. You want to hear from the vocalists. I, I understand that from the fans. And I'm not there's no excuse for me not to with me not touring as well. My voice feels good. Right. So when you doing what you do, keep doing it, man, because th this these energy that you're getting from me and hopefully your other artists that you do interviews with, that's what these fans need to hear. Right. It's an education process. This is a transitional period of our for our great genre, yeah. you know, and it takes people like you. It's not just the musicians. It's the people that are working hard. It's just as competitive for you. Right. So to, to have this kind of of deep thought and you can just i could just tell when i got on with you it's like well this is this is a real end this is fun like yeah. you know what i mean it's not just hey what's pop evil mean i'm like okay cool you could have looked on wikipedia you know what i mean like it's, <laughs> it's real life stuff that you actually care about the band you're interviewing and that and that, that that that's important man i mean you're, you're i'm so grateful for people like you that are that are that are out there giving giving our fan base an outlet to 
to to dig these questions out of us because it because you know going down memory lane is not something that i do often just because this business is all about the next the next song the next tour i don't ever really think about it so you know even when you pull that out of me it's like oh yeah you know we really have been doing this for a long time and and it's a credit it's a credit to the grind and those people that really have to see if you want to make it in this business in any business but especially the music business you got to put your time in man there's just no there's no quick way to success no, you know? absolutely and, not uh, and um you know it's just it's just been a total enjoy enjoyable to 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 rap with you a bit today and i look forward to doing it again hopefully in person what an incredible guy with such an incredible career Go check out the new album, Versatile, coming May 21st. And a big thank you to Lee and all the bandmates over at Pop Evil. Keep doing what you're doing. Really, really great music. And as always, for the stories behind the songs, go to songfacts.com. Thank you so much. It's not easy being the one everyone counts on to keep your operation running, no matter the weather or supply chain hiccup. But we get you Raymond in Buffalo, Maria in Miami, and Jules and Troy, taking control of everything that's under your control. At Granger, we're here for you with high-quality supplies for every industry, plus real-time product availability and access to experts ready to help. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.